Normally, you know, when I preach, if people were to say something about Kelly's preaching, if they were to say that it's uh, kind of educational versus experiential, most people would say, I think, that my preaching is more educational than experiential. Like I don't do as much as some preachers with feeling as I do with head. Uh, I would say that that's true. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but generally I think that's true. And I have to tell you that in reading these texts that we're going to look at this morning, in looking at, we're going to look at Isaiah 6, and then I'm going to read some from Isaiah 53 this morning as well. Like, I just couldn't go there in terms of just the head stuff. And I, I couldn't go there because of what Scripture here tells us about the experience of this prophet with God. And you'll, you'll see this both from Isaiah 6 and also from Isaiah 53 when we get there. Now, it's interesting, when, when one preaches, when one stands up in front of a group of people and, and speaks for the Lord, you never know exactly what's happening between you and the, and the people to whom you're speaking. And I was this, thinking this week, as, uh, as reflecting on these, these verses again, and thinking, what is it that I really want to have happen? What is it that I want to say this morning or do this morning that will cause people somehow to, to experience something of God? And one text that came to mind, and I, I don't even know how this fits really. You can do with this what you want. But there's this, this passage in Romans chapter 10 that says, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And so there's some kind of experience and knowledge that a person is supposed to have when the word of God is preached. It's supposed to come to people and they're supposed to hear it and there's supposed to be a response inside them as God does something through his word to those people. You can use the word connection, I think. To describe what's supposed to happen between a person and the word of God as it is heard. And I know that belief can happen as the word is proclaimed. And there's something powerful about this experience of hearing God's word. And when scripture is just read, it's not as though when I read my Bible, it's not as though it's just words. It's not just English. It's not just a human experience. It's a spiritual experience that occurs. As people are hearing and even confronted by what God has to say in his word as he reveals himself to humankind through scripture. Well, this morning, that's what's happening. There is revelation taking place through scripture to human beings. And it's as revelatory to me today as it might be to you. And so as I'm reading this text, I'm going to read just a few verses from Isaiah 6, but oh, they're powerful verses. Something I pray happens within you. Just as I want it again to happen within me as I read these verses. Now, before I read them, let me tell you a story. Some of you have heard of John Wesley. John Wesley was uh, raised in an Anglican home uh, right at the beginning of the 18th century in England. His dad was an Anglican priest and quite a prominent Anglican priest. And Wesley had experience in this home, of course, of growing up as a Christian, hearing the word of God, his dad being this preacher that he was. 
And Wesley himself, as he grew older, decided that he was going to take on the same role that his father had. And so he also became a minister, a preacher, a priest in the Anglican church. When he was a a young man still, he made a journey to the United States, came to to, uh, North America and went to Georgia specifically and spent time in the area of Georgia and preached. And it wasn't a very positive experience for him. Uh, there was some malaria, for example, going on at the time he got sick. Various things happened in Wesley's life while he was there. He didn't enjoy that experience very much. One of the good things that happened was that on the boat on the way here, he met a group called the Moravians, and the Moravians convinced him that life groups, basically, were the key to Christian fellowship. And so the whole Methodist communion has, in many ways, been based in or uh, grounded in the kind of life group, small group kind of experience, uh, which is also very good. Well, Wesley um, came back to England, and there were certainly good things going on in his life, but he hadn't had a great experience uh, in the United States, and he came back a little bit discouraged. And then there was an evening when he kind of questioned in his faith, wondering what was going on. He was 34 years old. It was 1738. And on the 24th of May... He goes to a place called Aldersgate, and he's with a group of people who are reading together Martin Luther's preference to his commentary in the book of Romans, and they were also reading Romans together. And Wesley says that in the midst of that evening, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And and basically what you see here is that the preacher is being converted. The minister of God is coming to God. And something intense and real is happening in his life as he reads scripture together with other Christians and God works on his heart through the presence of his spirit. And so there was a a moment there when Wesley is confronted by God. And of course, it changed his life and his preaching from that moment became extraordinary. And in many ways, the evangelical movement in North America goes back to the days when Wesley and George Whitfield and others were preaching across England and came again back to the United States and did preaching here. And there was a flourishing movement that arose as people were confronted, not just with a knowledge of things, but something happening in their hearts. Something stirred them. And there was experience and relationship as they came not to just obey God, but to love God. And to experience him in that way. And God, of course, wants so much for us to love him and be in authentic relationship with him. Well, as I read Isaiah 6 now and read it with me, just take note of the experience that the prophet has of God. In the year that King Isaiah died, listen to these words. I saw the Lord 
seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. And here's what they say as the seraphs call to one another. And experience the presence of God. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, I don't know what you would feel like if you had that experience. Wesley had some kind of experience among those people. He went home and he wrote about it. He used one word to describe it. And he said, fire. It was fire. Something profound happened in my soul between God and me that I can only describe as fire. And his life was absolutely set on fire by God and for God. And as I read this experience of Isaiah's, where he beholds, he beholds, is that the right word? He sees God and his glory. And something happens between himself and God at that moment. And when it says that the sound, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke, it's more a description of what's happening inside him. The doorposts of his heart shake. His own life is filled with God's holy smoke. And then he says, and this, I I just totally get this. I can remember so clearly what it was like when I first started hearing the gospel. Like, I've described before how I went to a Bible camp when I was 15 years old, and I'd been there about three days, and I hated it. It was terrible. I I, had spent 25 of my hard-earned dollars to be there for that week. And I, I was walking up a hill toward the boys' cabins, and I had all my buddies around me, and I I remember kind of shaking my head and saying to them, what am I doing here? Like, I thought we were going to be canoeing. I thought we were going to be fishing. I thought we were going to be doing all kinds of stuff. And instead, we're sitting in Bible classes. And we're singing, we're going at night, and we're singing these songs that I don't know. What is all this about? And that was on Wednesday morning of Bible camp week. By Thursday night, my life had been completely turned around by Jesus Christ. God had, in the intervening day, completely communicated to me about his gospel, and I'd become a completely different person. Fire! Something had happened within me as God had moved me to be his child in just a day. That's how long it took me. Some of you, I know, have been struggling with Christ for years. What am I going to do about this person, Jesus, and about God? And how am I going to respond to him? It took me a day. I'm just saying the truth. Like whether it takes me a day or it takes me five years, like some of you might take, God is working on our hearts. 
And I'm so grateful that he does. And he wants us to have just this kind of experience. Now look at verse 5. This is unbelievable to me. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Do you know that's exactly how I felt? When the gospel was proclaimed to me, when I was 15 years old, and I heard what Jesus had done for me, and how much he loved me, how wonderful God was, and how I'd missed out on God for the first years of my life, when I heard all of that, it was such a, a, a moving profound experience and on the one hand i was saying woe is me i have missed him i've not had this experience of god i am in fact guilty of my sin and i need so badly to have god forgive me so that i can come and be his child on the one hand it was so woe of me and on the other hand it was holy 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 is the lord god almighty and something, oh, something profound happened in my soul. Now, part of what happened is in verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I think that that's the experience that I had. That's the experience I think that Wesley finally had. When he finally recognizes what it is that God has done for him. That he is indeed not righteous. That he has indeed not done what God wanted him to do. He doesn't have the relationship with God that he could have. Because of the barrier of sin between himself and God. But God comes and takes care of that problem. And his sins are atoned for, meaning simply they've been taken away. They've been covered. They've been washed. They've, the need has been met. And God has allowed now Isaiah and Wesley and Kelly to come and to be with him in relationship. And so we turn over to the 53rd chapter of the same book. Wesley had said about a quarter before nine, while the leader was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And I don't know how one can hear and read Isaiah 53 without having one's heart strangely warmed. Look at chapter 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of a man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Why is it marred? Well, we learn later it's marred by the beatings, by the scourgings, by the destruction that his body received at the hands of the Romans. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. And so this one goes from being dehumanized to being the savior of the world. 
Then look down at verse 6 in chapter 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? Why? Well, because he was killed. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And so he receives the punishment, but he's totally guiltless. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Well, now there will be offspring, but there'll be spiritual offspring. And he will... And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And when I hear that, I think to myself, Jesus, you did that for me. You bore the sin, not just of the many, you bore my sin. And you made intercession for my transgressions. And when I recognize what Jesus has done for me, I stand back and I say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And at that point, yes, there's something going through the head, but what is happening is a life experience of God. It's as if I stand before him and I see the train of his robe filling the temple and blessing my life. Fire. Happening inside my soul when I recognize what it is that Jesus has done for me. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that God does not make us just as mortal, fleshly people. He makes us spiritual. And he creates this world, not just in a natural way, but with a spiritual element to it. And we are not complete. We are not what we were intended to be unless somehow that spiritual side of life is taken into consideration, recognized. When something happens between ourselves and this spiritual creator, that's when life becomes full. Without it, it's as if something is always missing until that spiritual side of life is somehow taken into consideration and something is done with it. And what's beautiful is that God does it. God 
does this spiritual thing. God creates this spiritual relationship. God creates opportunity for us to see him and to know him, to experience him, to have fire. And it's his fire that we experience that becomes ours. And so today, I hope you're able to hear, to see in some way the Lord high and lifted up, exalted in your own life, that you can experience the spiritual reality that God wants for each one of his children. It may not always come as intense fire. But there's something that needs to happen between each person created by God and the Lord. I pray that today you take steps toward having that happen in your life. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you uh, and praise you, God, for the reality that you are to us. God, I want to thank you for coming into my life, for bringing to me the good news that you want to be in relationship with me, that you reveal yourself to me through Jesus. Thank you for making that a reality and for allowing me to come and to know you the way that I do. And Father, I pray for every person here, that same experience of knowing you and understanding what it is that you've done in loving us through Jesus. I pray these things through Christ. Amen.